Welcome. You are listening to a sermon preached at Church at the Armory. If you like what you hear, share it. God bless you. On that that theme, because we're almost 100% this morning, us. I want to talk to, I want Pastor Chester to talk to us for a little bit. Church at the Armory. And uh, I want to just talk about this concept. Relaunching a church is more than just changing a physical location. Slapping some paint on the wall and calling it new. Amen? The church is not a And y'all have learned so good. The church is not a building. We could meet anywhere and be the church. The church is the people of God. Uh, That is a fact. That is fact scripturally. That's a fact for for believers across the world in the persecuted church who aren't meeting in a church building, but they're meeting in somebody's basement and they're having church. The gathering of the saints is church. And so we choose to gather at the old armory on 8th Street, and we choose to own this property so that we can have the convenience of gathering together and equipping the saints. That's a great thing. Somebody say amen. I'm not belittling gathering together in this place, but I'm saying you, you are the church. We together are the body of Christ on the earth. Okay? We're the church. So when we relaunch the church, we're not relaunching location. We are, we are relaunching the people. What I mean by that is, I was praying about this on Wednesday as we were praying about something else in this Lord, and it's like this idea that the caterpillar, our church, went into the I'm gonna say, cocoon. Did I say that word right? Okay, that'll be the first and only time I say it right. We went into the cocoon, and we've been there for a while, doing whatever caterpillars do to turn into butterflies, a metamorphosis, if you will. And it's in my eye, in my mind's eye, y'all with me? In my mind's eye, in the cocoon, there's a lot of shedding of the old, and then there's a lot of uh, remaking into the new. And in my mind's eye, this relaunch will signify when the cocoon begins to break and the butterfly starts to go public. You know, we've had just a simple, simple, this is, this, this is meaningless, okay? But it's an, it's an example. We've had this private Facebook group, right? The Church at the Armory Inception page, right? It's this, it's this private Facebook group. And then after the launch, we'll make a public, you know, it's the idea of like we start going public. We start, we've gone from the cocoon and through a season of redevelopment into a place where we can, we're going to fly again. And we're going to produce again and be public again. And uh, so what matters is not the cocoon. What matters is the metamorphosis that happened in all of our hearts through the season and the process of change. The beauty, you, you know, you don't go find the, c- the cocoon. You go find the butterfly. And you go look at what it's developed. It was this and now it's this. And look at what it's developed. It's, it, there's colors and it's It's beautiful. So what I'm trying to say is, uh, Dr. Gladstone, he in his book, uh, 
build, what is it, time to build. In his book of time to build, he got this section on a Jesus movement, a Jesus revolution, a Jesus movement. And what it is, it's not about the movement, it's not about the church, it's not about the, the organization, it's about the character of every individual. So there's, he got these seven characteristics of the Jesus people, and it's all like our heart posture. What I'm trying to say is that if we relaunch, the world doesn't go, wow, an old armory? I've always wanted to go to old armory to have a church. <laughs> that makes sense? We're not growing because we got the coolest facilities in town. And by the way, if that's how you grow your church, we're not growing because we got the coolest facilities in town. We're growing. We, we become public and we begin to be fruitful again because we've changed. We've gone through a metamorphosis. I think, I'm, I'm not trying to invest in I think Bethany said it best last week when she talked about that idea of like, I had to relearn for myself who God is. And I think that's true for her. I think that's true for us as a church. It's like we've gone through a season in a cocoon and it's like, I think we know who our God is now. Yeah. Amen. Purified through the testing of our faith. Walking out on the other side, a lot, of, a lot of purity has come into our hearts. I'm not talking about from this. I'm talking about our hearts. And so what I'm saying is as we relaunch and as we prepare to get public again, the integrity right here, the character of us as a people of God is the most important thing we must maintain as we move forward. I want to go public Look at me. I, I, this is the best way I know how to say it. I want us as a church to go public, but I don't want us to lose anything we learned in private. Jesus in, uh, and Jesus, and I didn't give you the scripture, so don't worry about it. Y'all can just trust that I'm not lying about what the Bible says. Okay. Um, Matthew chapter 5, I believe, Jesus says you're the light of the world. You're a city on a hill. Very public display. Right? Very public display of the people of God. You're the salt of the earth, right? If you lose your saltiness, it's worth nothing. You can trample it underfoot. It's not a big deal. You're the light of the world. Nobody puts a light on a, under a basket. This little light of mine. Mm -hmm. Now, that's okay. Y'all quit. Okay. So, so the idea is like we're we're preparing we're preparing to shine forth again. But the only way we shine is that there's this genuine fire. And, and it's not a bad thing to shine forth the glory of God. Uh, shine in such a way that men will see your good works and glorify God. That we would come out of the cocoon, go public, and shine in such a way that people go, only God could do that. And it's not going to be flashing lights and, you know, we, we, you know, it's not going to be painted walls and it's not going to be the old armory. It's going to be those people are doing the work of God. And so there's some things we learned while in the cocoon that I today want to go we need to make sure we don't forget. Yeah. We need to make sure we hang on to these things. 
So I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. I'm going to start with 1 Corinthians chapter 10. I feel like we've, we've, what I'm saying is I don't feel like we lack for these things, but I feel like we better be mindful not to lose these things. On some level, becoming fruitful again scares me more than going through a struggle season. Because when you begin to be successful, fruitful, you kind of, sometimes you, you can lose your way. So let's put up 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. Paul is giving an example of Israel here. And uh, this is what he says. He says, For I don't want you to be unaware, ignorant, brethren, that our fathers were un- all under the cloud and passed through the sea. The cloud was the glory of God. They were in the, they were in the manifest presence of God and passed through the sea. Uh, we've seen God move some big, big, big ways in our lives. For, uh, there, it, amen. Okay. Verse two. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud in the sea. In other words, they went through this baptism in Moses. Moses was a the representation or the the prototype of a deliverer. And there's been, there's been this sense of like this delivering spirit that's walked us through this incredibly difficult period in our church's history. Uh, we can say thank God for year 100, but year 98 and year 99 was tough. A baptism by fire, if you will. A, a deliverance, if you will. Okay, in verse 3. All ate the same spiritual food, physically, spiritually. Right? Fed by the providence of God. Manna from heaven. Right? They ate physically and spiritually the same spiritual food. Verse 4. They drank the same spiritual drink, for they were drinking from this rock. The rock was Jesus. Right? There just seemed to be this period in time where our hunger and our thirst was not met by anything else but just Jesus. Like we didn't have anything else to hang our hat on and survive on except Jesus was there. Right? Everything, everything kind of just, everything that could be shaken. That sound familiar? Then it could be shaken, was shaken. And all we had was this rock, this foundation of Christ. Why would the, in, 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 moving forward, in a time of fruitfulness, why would we ever leave the rock? That's the point today, essentially. Verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not. Let's say not. Not well pleased. For they were laid low in the wilderness. The, the, the Chester version would say they died in the wilderness, right? Verse 6. These things happen as examples. Everybody say examples. In other words, we're taking what happened to Israel, people in the, the literal glory of God, through literal deliverance, through literal crossings of sea, through literal food from heaven, and literal drink from a rock named Christ, and they died in the wilderness because of disobedience, right? What was the disobedience? He's going to tell us. Here we go. Uh, these things happened. Uh, don't that, that we would not crave evil things. Everybody say crave evil things. Now, if, 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 I said, if I said, raise your hand if you crave evil things, you know, one or two people would raise their hand. No, probably not anybody in here would be like, I crave evil things. If I said, come back in a week after praying and fasting about whether you crave evil things, most everybody in the room would come back and raise their hand. Because there's this craving of the flesh that we continue to feed. All of us. Amen? On some level. Verse 7. Don't be idolaters. 
as some of them were. Now, what's Paul's definition taken from the Old Testament of an idolater? Everybody look right here. People sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Idolatry was self-indulgence. It's on. We all think of idolatry as there was some shrine, you know, they had a golden calf. Idolatry that Paul point out, look at me right here. Idolatry that Paul points out was the idea that after their deliverance, after the miracle of God, after this great time of bringing through to testing of their faith, they turned then to self-indulgence. It's this idea of, well, I've won the battle, so now I'm just going to feast like it's 1999. That makes sense? And it's this, there's this, there's a tendency within all of our hearts that when we get through with the war, to relax. And what we don't need to do in relaunch season is relax. What we need to do in relaunch season is crucify the flesh, turn our nose to heaven, and go after the God and go after His kingdom and go after the, the, the gospel going for us. Somebody say amen. Okay? So idolatry is sitting down, eating and drinking, and standing up to play. In other words, I, I tell you, I've taught on this a few weeks ago. There's no sobriety of the spirit. Everything's fun and games. There's no seriousness of the faith. There's no crying in the house of God. There's no intercession in the heard in the ears of the saints because it's all party time. Look, woo, we got we got delivered from Egypt. Woo, party time, right? And God said that turned into idolatry. All I want to do at this point is just live my life and do my thing. That's not the church. The church's job, the church's job is to lay down their life. Amen. And fulfill the will of heaven. Verse 8. Don't let us act immorally. That, that, that word immorally is literal sexual immorality. Uh, I was once told a long time ago, God doesn't view sexual immorality the way we view it. Not, it he don't think it's that big of a deal. Okay. 23,000 fell in one day. And we're supposed to say God doesn't think it's a big deal about sexual immorality. It doesn't work anymore. That's not a big deal. I can push the boundaries of my covenant and talk to other people and look at pornography. and, And I can get on Facebook and talk. See what I'm saying? I don't have to wait till marriage, all that kind of stuff. All the old school stuff that's legalistic. God doesn't care about that stuff. 23,000 in one day. Well, he's different now. He's New Testament. (laughs) Yeah, because in the New Testament, uh, you could think about it, but you couldn't do it. Excuse me, in the Old Testament, you could think about it, but you couldn't do it. In the New Testament, if you thought about it, it's like doing it. So he made it a lot easier. Verse 9, let us not try, test the Lord, as some of them did. The testing of the Lord, uh, the only time the Bible, says the, the Bible says that God says test me is when it was to giving. That's the only time the Bible says test me. He said, you go have permission in this one instance to try to outgive me, and we'll see who wins. Well, that went over real well. I'm trying, Danny. I'm trying. Right? Okay. That's the only time. Otherwise, 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 it's like, don't test me. One lesson we learned, big time. 
God says, I'm God, and you're not. Don't test that. Amen? They were destroyed by serpents when they test the Lord. Verse 10. (laughs) About the lighting situation and the pain on the wall, thou shalt not grumble as some of them did. And were... I thought it would be more laughing, but I think I hit too close to home. Okay, let's try that again. Anything else? Okay, okay. Uh, (laughs) I'm a funny person. Now, the Bible says don't grumble. It is real easy when you go through a season of struggle to come out a grumbler. Because it's just become kind of like your native tongue. And how many, look, there's lots of things I can change. Like, I can go on a crash diet. I can do all this. One of the hardest things in the world, according to James, is to tame in the tongue. It's to change how I talk. Is to, is to remove grumbling, whiny, negative speech off of my heart and speak from a place of faith and spirit. So don't grumble. Some of them did. They were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11, these things happen to them as an example. Second time he makes the point to say, this is an example. I need you to follow. I need you to look at this example and don't be like this. When God brings you through a season of deliverance, you need to go, uh, just because you got through doesn't mean you're over, right? Okay? And so uh, they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. The next few verses are powerful. Therefore, there's one verse that I want you to remember today. Therefore, let him who thinks he can stand. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. I'm speaking as a church. When a church is knocked down, And all the work it has taken to get us back up on our feet. Out there today, all the struggle and the work and the blood, the sweat and the tears to get back into a place of standing and walking again. Take heed that he does not fall. Protect your walk. Protect your stand. Don't treat it flippantly, drink, eat, and party, but walk in a manner that is worthy of the high calling of Christ Jesus. Walk, church, from this point forward that one of the most valuable things we have is our stand, is the ability to be upright. Amen? Amen? And then everybody likes to quote the next verse. Don't put it up there yet. Uh, See, God, he won't tempt you more than you can bear. They always like to, to quote that verse, and it's true. They just don't like to quote the, the 12 verses before it. Be careful, be careful. Learn from this example twice. Do not think you're all that in a bag of chips or you're going to fall down. Uh, and then as an afterthought, not an afterthought, but as a punctuation mark on the end of the statement of being how careful you are uh, to treat this deliverance as something special and powerful and meaningful, Don't worry, God won't tempt you more than you're able, but with every temptation will make a way of escape. 
Does that make sense? But the crux of that passage isn't, don't worry, just do whatever. God's not going to put too much on you. That's not the emphasis. The emphasis is, uh, hey, buddy, you know, check the ego at the door. Right? Don't think you're all that in a bag of chips. If there's, like, one thing I want to say to us is humility that we experience through this process in the cocoon. May we never, ever, ever, ever forfeit this lowly position and this, and this humility just to be thankful that we're alive and surviving and that we're walking again and that we're going to go pump. Like, all this is so beautiful that we would ever treat it flippantly and just kind of carefree our rest of the way into the future. Take heed. Take heed. Like, remember the cost of what it took to stand again. I think about it this way. When I think about, you can take personal salvation, you can take our church's deliverance, our salvation. Um, had enemies, you know, had people look me square in the eye and just say, you know, they were, they were wrong. This church will never make it. It's going to dissolve. It's not going to make it. You can't survive what happened. And there were days it felt that way. But here we are. And, that's, and here we are about to relaunch and, sh- and like out of the cocoon go, hey, world, this is the butterfly that you haven't seen in a while, right? Right? This is the butterfly. And, and I believe there's fruitful days ahead. Somebody say amen. amen. But there's fruitful days ahead. But it matters. It matters. It matters. It matters. Like, you know, like, I, I say this respectfully, but it, I go back to this. It was like, come look at our armory. This is a functional facility to house the gathering of the saints. There's nothing impressive here. You know what is impressive here? The best thing we got going is you and Jesus, right? Jesus and you. That's the best thing we got going, right? Take heed. Let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. Jim, throw up Mark 14. Very, very interesting story here. Jesus uh, sits down with the 12, and they're fixing to have Passover. But Jesus kind of drops a bomb on them for the last time. They're having Passover for the last time, and Jesus drops this bomb. This is what he says in verse 18. As they sat and ate, Jesus said, Verily I say to you, one of you who eat with me is going to betray me. Don't go to the next verse yet. One of you is going to betray me. This is what modern Christianity looks like. Modern Christianity is whenever there's some kind of betrayal or failure or whatever that happens. It's, well, I bet it was you. I bet it's going to be Andrew. Andrew's kind of sneaky. Redheaded people are not right. Right? 
This is what, this is what uh, modern church is, is whenever something bad happens, it's like the Spider-Man meme. You know, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, it's you, right? This was also Phariseeism. Jesus said, the Pharisee said, I'm glad I'm not like those people. Um, but this is how the, the, the disciples switching to apostles responded to the question of there's somebody who's going to betray us in our midst. Everybody look right here. Everybody look right here. This is a posture I think we need to carry into the future. That anytime something goes wrong, the first place we check, they begin to be sorrowful. First of all, our hearts are broken by what's happened. Anytime something goes wrong, our hearts should genuinely break and not have this air, an air of like, well, I knew it. It's almost like this weird, religion has this weird infatuation with, uh, with uh, knowing that people were bad. Yeah. I knew it. I knew all along they were. And they begin to be sorrowful and say to Jesus one by one, Is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Look at me right here. Jordan talked about it inside of his uh, communion presentation. There was a time we were lost. And now by the blood of Jesus we're found. If we ever forget where we come from. And if we ever think we're above falling. Amen? Falling. If we ever, if our initial response is to look another way and point the finger in another direction, rather than to enter a place of sorrow and point the finger right here, was it me? Am I the one? We can be fruitful and pleasing to God if we stay humble and we stay low. Y'all out there? Humble and low. Is it, everybody say, is it me? That's, that's the title of my, my message today. Is it me? One time I was 16 and I got a speeding ticket. My dad had told me, he said, uh, if, you ever get a, if you ever get a ticket, it will be bad when you get home. And he was not lying. He didn't whoop me. But he worked to me like a dog for days. And sure enough, I got a speeding ticket, 16 years old. And I, uh, I was in a Trans Am, and my brother, my brother was in a, a Camaro, and we decided to see who could get across the mile bridge first. And I got pulled over. My grandpa happened to be a county judge at the time in a different county, and he wrote a letter to the judge overseeing my case uh, to, you know, at least let me take defensive driving and we wouldn't go on my record, right? And I remember having a court date. See, now if you get a ticket, you don't have a court date. You have a court date, but nobody goes to the court date. They just go online, pay their ticket, and you ain't got to face a judge. I was 16 years old and had to walk in face, and I had to go to court. And I walk in there, Washington County, and I sit in this courtroom. 
I'm looking all around, <laughs> and I go to myself. I meant, this story came to me this morning driving to church as a state trooper was trying was sitting over there, and I would drop out, and I went, woo, and then I, I remembered this story. Anyway, I thought to myself, look at me. This is my thought. In that court day, 16-year-old, I ain't like all these people. I mean, these people look bad. Pretty sure that dude murdered somebody. Right? Like, I'm looking around that courtroom. I've got my Doc Martens on. You know, I've got my polo shirt on. Like, I said, polo on it. You know, preppy little kid. And I'm sitting there like, I ain't like these people. But why was I there? I was there because I did the crime. And there's this sense of we need to live in the balance of two positions, but a healthy balance of two positions. Not one all and not the other all. One all is I am a saint. Total silence. <laughs> I am a saint. I am no longer a sinner. I am a saint having been saved by grace. My identity in Christ is son, daughter, right? I am a saint. At the same time, I was a sinner. And some of y'all forgot. And some of y'all have have so removed yourself from the concept of where you came from. I'm talking about as an individual. I'm talking about as a church. So from where you came from, you start to walk with this little bit of air in your step. And you're above some things now. Y'all out there? Well, I can't believe somebody would ever do that. One of the things that for uh, almost 14 years, 15 years, 9, 4, 15 years, uh, when we came in 2009, one of the best things about this church that should remain, look at me, from, from the time till Jesus comes back, is this has always been a place where the worst the, the worst can come and not be judged and find Jesus and find Christ. But they don't feel judged because we made a nice spot for them and give them coffee. They don't feel judged because we, in our hearts, know we're not much different. Man, you can sniff religion out a mile away. And you can try to make it as appealing for a lost person, but what they feel when they come into the room is this person doesn't think he's better than me. I'm not talking about doing away with standards. Matter of fact, I'm talking about treating what we have gained through this difficult time as a very precious thing. It's like this. If the gospel, if deliverance, if salvation, if the the, the virgin birth, the sinless life, the ministry of Jesus, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus is the crowning achievement of Jesus Christ. The thing that, that he will throw down before the Father one day and present as an offering. Us who have been saved by that grace of his life lived. The gospel of Jesus Christ. If, the, if salvation as an individual, as a church, as a city, as a nation, whatever, as salvation is the crowning achievement 
treatment of the gospel. And, and, and Jesus, it says, uh, I want you to hold this bowling ball. And we have the bowling ball, and like we're hanging on the bowling ball. Now, we might treat it special because it's Jesus' bowling ball, right? And like literally, he can cause hurricanes with his bowling ball, right? So it's like, the, um, it's a joke. Anyway, the point is like it's, like, it's a bowling ball. But if he hands us the crown, if he hands us the salvation crown, and says, hang on to this for a second. I'm getting ready to cast it at God's feet, but hang on for a second. And, and you would put white gloves on you would hold it gingerly. You wouldn't let anybody come too close. Hang on, just stay back for a little. I, I'm, I'm holding this thing. Because I'm going to give it back to the king one day. Amen. And it's this idea that we must walk into our future holding our salvation, our deliverance with, with such, what's the word? Sobriety, dignity, honor. Reverence and saying, man, you know, what this, you know what the cost behind this crown was? Amen. I never treat it lightly. Amen. And so there's this thing where to treat it lightly is to remember the price that was paid. And we go back to communion. His blood was shed for my sin. I'm saying thank God for the bloodshed, but I'm saying I'm the reason. Part of the reason. The straps were on his back for my healing. It's also like this. It's like <laughs> there can be no pride. There can be no, there can be no self-righteousness. In our hearts moving forward. Uh, last night, Missy, we, we came home from Hatton. Chad and I came home from yesterday afternoon, and Missy was cleaning the house. And so you, what you do is you just leave her alone so she won't stop, right? And so it's a joke. It's a funny joke. Well, she found she found behind the TV, which is sitting on, like, the, the, the fire place, not the mantel, but on the fireplace, we just had it there in the corner for a long time, and she found behind the TV a, a, a mount, right, a, a mount that goes up on the wall, I'd bought like a year and a half ago and still haven't put it up, because I'm really good at starting projects, I'm not so good at finishing them, anybody know how that goes, okay, some of y'all hate that, some of y'all like, I got you bro, right, and so, so, went to Home Depot, grabbed, you know, had to move power up the wall, all this kind of stuff, and Chad was my helper, Okay, <laughs> and and so Chad's my helper, and like he's like hand me a screw. I'm like hand me a screwdriver, hand me the pliers. You know, he's handing me stuff and lift this up. Like he's doing these very small, menial tasks that are help, but they aren't the reason the TV's floating in the sky. So everything's done. It's about 9.30 at night, which was really 8.30 at night, okay? But it's about 9.30 at night, and I'm sitting there watching the end of a football game, and Chad comes walking into the room, and he's got FaceTime, and it was Ethan, his cousin, and he's like, look, Chad, I hung the TV. <laughs> and he's like... And he's gone underneath the TV. Like, there's a look, we made power up there, and I made a TV in the sky. And, it's, and I'm listening to him, and I'm like, dude, you handed me the screwdriver. 
He helped. I'm, I'm, I'm making an emphasis for point. Right? He was more help. Everybody said, good job, Jed. Right. Okay. Right. Right. Good job. Yeah. Anyway, look at me. Look at me. Look at me. This is my point. I feel like God hung our TV and for, for us to go look what we did. For us to take any ownership of survival. Y'all understand what I'm saying? For us to go, man, we handled that right, didn't we? <laughs> right? He's the, I genuinely believe God wants to co-labor with humanity. Amen? I believe that he wants our participation in the gospel. I believe he wants our co-laboring. But it's not the idea that it's like I... Uh, I helped Jesus, and I handed him the screwdriver, but he hung the TV. Does that make sense? So there's this lowly position of, in the future, when our dreams are coming true, that we don't go, look here. Look what we have done. But the best response I think we can come up with is hallelujah. Amen? So my, yeah, praise be to God. Hallelujah. Look what God has done. Jesus rebuked the, the, the Pharisees. He says, you know, you make it all about you. And I want to move forward into our relaunch with this grave reminder that we can have success, but we can lose who we are. Amen? We can fill the building, but that doesn't mean we are the beautiful butterfly that he processed in the cocoon. Be humble. Um, more than be humble, y'all gonna, y'all gonna, don't do not get mad. When problems arise, check your heart first. Is it me? Learn the lesson from the children of Israel. What? After a season of trial and deliverance, I mean, I, I, look at me. I'm not blaming Israel. Look at me. 400 years in, in slavery, is that right? And they're finally set free and they want to let their hair down a little bit? Well, I've earned the right to just kind of relax a little. Who can blame them, right? But what happens when you let our hair down, we let our guard down, when we stop leaning on Christ? Idolatry, sexual immorality, grumbling and complaining, right? Pride, all these things start seeping into our heart. Staying diligent, staying sober, glorifying God, glorifying his victory. Let me say this. In the future, I want to so do things with such high integrity and character. Hear what I say about integrity and character. Integrity and character isn't just morals. It's doing the right thing the right way, even when nobody's looking. 
Integrity takes a lifetime to build and a moment to throw in the garbage. And then it takes even longer to build back. And it has felt like a lifetime over the last few years. Have, I mean, it just feels like a lifetime. And we, 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 we built back some integrity. And, and look at me. We're going to move forward with integrity. I'm not talking about sin or not. I'm talking about doing things in such a way that they don't go, man, that church at the armory place is pretty cool. That they go, God is with them. That doesn't point men to men. It points men to God. So do your works that men see your works and your deeds and they glorify God. I'm not looking for people to go, man, Pastor Chester can preach. I know better. (laughs) Pastor Chester is, Pastor Chester, Pastor Chester, Pastor Chester, if... If my name's in their mouth, and his name is not. That's a failure. That is a failure. Celebrity Christianity is dying by the day, and I'm glad for its death. Because every time a man's name is in our mouth, his name is not. I want to be absolutely 100% guarding my steps, guarding my ways, walking with integrity, walking with character, walking in such a way that I don't think I'm above falling. I'm talking about me as a person and us as a church. That I'm above falling, I'm above sliding back into a pit of despair. No, no, no. We have, we are, uh, I'm not saying I don't have faith and trust to God's ability to keep us. The only reason we're here is because His ability to keep us. Amen? But I am saying I want to walk in such a way where I don't treat things lightly and flippantly. I'm not drinking, eating, and partying all the time. I'm, I'm soberly walking out into our future. Amen? Uh, and, I, and I know it's a popular thing to say amongst. This generation of Christians, and I've said it before, to my shame, and I wish I never would have said it, but there is this idea that, that floats around Christianity that we're not supposed to be sin conscious. It's not in the Bible. Matter of fact, John said, I write these things so that you might not sin. I'm going to give you an idea of what sin looks like. I need you to think about it and not do it. Don't be sin conscious only. Don't be sin conscious only, but you need to walk in such a way. I need to remember Israel and and be conscious of the sins they made and not do those things. I wish every person would buy the book called Tell of Three Kings. In that book, it talks about King David, King Saul, and Absalom. David was the man after God's own heart. King Saul was anointed king and fell. Anointed by God and fell. Absalom was the rightful heir to the throne and tried to steal the throne and destroy King David. And David wouldn't touch him. Why? Because who's good, who's evil? Our hearts are so deceitful and wicked sometimes it's hard to tell. God knows, but he's not always telling. Where are the prophets? Where are the, where are the people with discernment to know about the might bickles of the world? God knows, but he's not always talking. And there's another reason why we're pointing at man and going, why didn't you know? Because we're always looking for a reason where man's at fault. Does that make sense? 
you, prophet should have known. I literally, there's people, people mad at IHOP right now going, well, the, the prophet should have known. Like, yeah, your fault, dude. Here's what I'm saying. If not, we can do this all day long or we can go, is it me? What's in here? And if, there's, and, and if God takes his lamp and shines it in my heart and it's actually pure, that I need to hold that thing as the most precious thing there is and walk in such a way that I'd never jeopardize its, its beauty. Nobody in this room would take a 16-year-old virgin and tell her to treat it like it was worthless. Amen? And there is this purity. Thank you, Jesus. There seems to be this purity on our hearts in this moment that we should walk forward and protect. Not just from sin, but to make sure that we do all things God's way and the right way. Does that make sense? In such a way, in such a way that men would see what we do and go, God.